James 5, and we'll look at the last two verses this evening, verses 19 and 20. And think about the thought of backsliding brethren this evening. But we'll go ahead and start in verse number 16. Because really, from verse 13 all the way down through verse number 20, is all kind of one thought that James is giving. But verse number 16, he says, Confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth, and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death, and shall hide a multitude of sins. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this evening, and I do thank you for the time that we can spend together, not only in singing songs and praises to your name, but now, Father, in opening up your word. And I do ask that as we look at these verses, as we think about what James was saying, and really what you are saying to us through your word this evening, I do ask that you would bless the reading and the preaching of your word this evening, that you would minister your word to each of our hearts, and that you would help us to leave and go from this place changed because of what you've shown us this evening. Help us this evening not just to be hearers of the word, but doers as well, that you might get the honor and the glory that you are worthy of. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Backsliding brethren. It's interesting, he opens this passage, or these two verses this evening, verse number 19. He says there, brethren. Brethren. James is speaking here to brethren. Really, the entire book of James has been addressed to saved individuals, to his brethren. We know that from verse number 1 of chapter number 1. He says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into divers temptations. Of course, we know, we talked about this a few times throughout the book of James, but James was the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was Jesus' physical brother. He was born to Joseph and Mary. Mary did not remain a virgin after Jesus was born, contrary to what some other religions say. She actually had children, and one of those children was a man by the name of James. And it's interesting because James did not believe in Jesus. James grew up with Jesus. He saw how Jesus lived his life, but yet it was not until after Jesus died, was buried, and rose again that James became a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And eventually, he would become the pastor of the church there in Jerusalem. And of course, Jerusalem was a hotbed for persecution. Men like the Apostle Paul, when he was known as Saul, were rife in Jerusalem. And they were tearing up the churches there. They were committing people to be killed. And so many of the the members of the church there at Jerusalem, they scattered abroad. 
and they went throughout the known world. And that's when James took pen in hand by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and penned the book of James to these believers who were experiencing some really rough times. Uh, You and I this evening, we experience very little in the way of persecution, very little in the way of cost to call ourselves Christians. But there are places in our world, even today, where if you are going to identify yourself as a follower of Jesus Christ, it will very likely cost you your life. And for many of the believers in the early church there in Jerusalem, that's what it was. They were having to leave their home, leaving that which they knew in order to escape the threat of death. And really, it was a benefit and a blessing in a lot of ways because the gospel spread throughout the known world very quickly because of this. But James is writing to these, these who are believers, these who are followers of Jesus, these who have scattered due to persecution. And in the the last two verses here, we find him addressing them once again by the term brethren as he has many times throughout the book of James. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth. If any of you. So we can notice this evening that it is possible for believers to err from the truth. It is possible for believers to to backslide. And certainly, I think if all of us are honest, if we will look at our own lives, we will find that there are times in which we err from the truth. There are times in which you know what God has told you to do, and you act opposite to it, against it. You do that which you know is wrong. You err from the truth. In other words, you take a different path. You step away from that which you know to be true. You espouse something else as truth, or you do not hold tightly to that which you know to be true. There's many ways in which we can err from the truth. Uh, When we know something to be right, we know that we should not give in to anger, for instance. We know that it is wrong, that it is sinful, but yet it is a, a malady, it is a sin that often besets mankind. It is a temptation to many people, and we know that giving in to anger, uh, embracing the works of the flesh, embracing the wrath of man will not bring about the righteousness of God. We know that to be a truth, right? But often we can espouse that attitude anyway. We can exchange the truth of God for a lie and say, well, I'm going to give in to this attitude anyway. And that's just one simple example. But there's many ways in which we can go after sin and we can reject the truth that we know. There's other ways in which people can err from the truth in that they can get off on a different track and they can begin to believe other various things. But it is something that even believers, if we're not careful, can fall prey to. We know that because James tells us here, brethren, if any of you do err from the truth. But you'll notice what he says next. And one convert him. And one convert him. Now, this is an interesting term. And lots of people get really hung up. What is James talking about here? Well, there's some things he's not talking about here. He's not talking about you and I saving someone's soul in that I can go and I can convert a lost sinner to heaven by something that is in me. We also know that he's speaking to brethren here. 
He's speaking to those who are born again, those who know Christ. So they're not people who need to be born again. They're not people who need to be rescued from their sin in that sense. But simply put, in verse number 20, really he explains himself. He says, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way. So to convert a sinner in the way that James is using here is to get them to turn. And simply, that's, that's what the word convert means. It means to change, to turn, to return, to bring back from the error of their way. And you'll notice what he says there in verse 20. To let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death. So if we convert a sinner from the error of, the, of his way, that would be to help one realize the danger that they are in. To help them realize the danger that they are in and to get them to turn back to the right way. To turn from the wrong way into the right way. To convert a sinner from the error of his way. There was a time in Africa, we had a, a group that had come over to work with my dad. And one of the things that my dad had me do sometimes was take these groups from where we lived in Francistown, Botswana, up to a place called Chobe, Chobe National Park. And on the northern edge of Botswana, there's a, a large river that flows through that area, the Chobe River, and it's an area that is flush with wildlife. It's absolutely full. In fact, it has one of the largest populations of elephants in the world during rainy season. And these elephants travel from hundreds of miles, and they gather at this river. And, of course, wherever there's lots of water and lots of animals on the hoof uh, taking advantage of the water, there's also lots of predators that take advantage of the animals that are there. And so it's a very beautiful place to go. There's no fences whatsoever. The animals roam all over the place. In fact, the, the lodge where we were staying there often, they had a concrete walkway that went throughout the property, and there were lion paw prints in the cement. And they, they didn't put them there. They had poured the cement, and a pride of lions had come through while the cement was still wet and had walked through the sidewalk. So it was always a good reminder when we stayed there to be on guard, to be careful. But we had gone up one time... And we had gone out on a boat trip, and we were out on the Chobe River, and we're sitting on this, you know, looking back, this small aluminum boat on top of a river that is full, absolutely full of crocodiles and hippos, both of which will kill you very quickly and not in a nice way. And so we were, we were sitting in this boat, and we had pulled up to the bank, because there was a particularly large crocodile that was sunning himself on the bank. And as we were sitting there and you know, people were taking pictures and we're watching this crocodile that's on the bank, another boat had pulled up beside us. And I began to watch the other boat. I've seen a few crocodiles in my life living there in Africa. And so I'm watching this boat and there's this guy and he's hanging out of the boat. And he's got a big camera and he's putting the camera right down next to the water to get this really cool profile picture of the crocodile. And so as he's doing that, I'm watching, and the, 
the water beneath his hands is beginning to swirl a little bit. I don't know if there's a crocodile down there that's ready to grab him or not, but crocodiles are really quick in the water, really quick. And so I thought, well, you know, hey, I'll, I'll just mention to him that maybe he might want to be careful about where he's putting his hand. So I said something, and he got offended at me. He got mad that I would bring it up, and he told me that he'd lived there his entire life. And I told him that, well, you might die really quick, too. <laughs> you might want to move your hands. You know, there's, there's crocs in the water, too. But, you know, sometimes people, and I know you would never fall prey to this, but people in general, sometimes, they begin to do things, and they don't necessarily realize what they're doing. Sometimes we can get in our own mind, we can get in our own track, the way that we're doing things, and we can begin to pursue after things that we ought not to pursue after. Or we can begin to pursue after even good things in a wrong manner, in a wrong way that brings danger. And so it's helpful a lot of times to have people who are willing to come alongside of us and say, hey, brother, have you considered this? Sister, have you thought about this? You might want to be careful where you're going. You might want to be careful the direction in which you are walking. You might want to be careful. Have you considered this? He which converteth the sinner from the error of his way to help one to realize the danger that they are in to get them to turn from their danger. You know, that evening I was unsuccessful in helping that man turn from the error of his way. I pulled my phone out in the midst of talking to him and I put it on video mode because I thought, hey, if this guy's going to get ripped out of his boat by a crocodile and dragged into the water, I want to have it on video. And maybe that sounds cold to you, but I warned him first and he didn't want to listen. I tried to help him turn from the error of his way. But James says there in verse number 20, He which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. To save a soul from death. You think about what is the ultimate end of a believer who ignores what God has to say who ignores what other believers have to say, who ignores the input from those around them, the input from the Holy Spirit and from the Word of God. What is the ultimate end of a true believer who is pursuing after sin, who is going their own way? Well, ultimately, I believe that God's going to take that person out. Ultimately, I believe that chastisement will come to the place where they suffer an early demise, that God removes them. We talked about that last week as we talked about church discipline and those who come to the Lord's table unworthily. And Paul said that because of this, there are many that sleep among you. Indicating to us that there is a point, there is a place in our lives that if we're truly born again and we quench the Holy Spirit, we ignore Him to a certain point that we'll be cut off. That God will take us home to heaven rather than leave us here to be an embarrassment. And, hide, and shall hide a multitude of sins. Now there's a couple ways that we can think about how saving a soul from death hides a multitude of sins. Certainly, if we are able, if we are successful 
in helping someone see the error of their ways before they go too far. That helps hide a multitude of sins. It helps a multitude of sins not happen. But certainly, if we are successful as well, we can, you know, if somebody goes far enough in their sin, a lot of times it can become messy. It can become public. But if we're there and we're able to help save this soul from death, convert the sinner from the error of their ways, we can help hide a multitude of sins. Not only that, James here is really speaking about a close-knit relationship within the body of Christ, within a local church. There in verse number 16, that's why I started with that verse, he says, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another, that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. You realize one of the purposes of the local church, one of the reasons that God puts us in a unique body like this is fellowship, and along with fellowship, accountability. There is great benefit and blessing in the accountability that comes from being in a close-knit group. There's great benefit and blessing that comes from having accountability built into your life. From having someone who's able to come in and to speak to you and say, Hey, I've noticed this in your life. Am am I seeing something correctly? Am I seeing something wrong here? Am I not understanding what's going on? Can you explain this to me? Oh, there's great benefit and blessing in that. James there in verse 16 says that we are to confess our faults one to another. It's a good thing to have somebody in your life, and God's placed us in a church body like this in a unique way that there are people around you who care about you, who love you, who have the same purpose of glorifying Jesus Christ, that you can come alongside and say, hey, could you pray with me about this? I've been struggling with this in my life. Can you help me with this? Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. And when we are in this kind of a unique relationship with each other, then it gives others the space to speak into our lives. If one of us errs from the truth. But you know, in the body of Christ, there ought to be God's kind of love. There ought to be God's kind of love. Charity covers a multitude of sins. Just a couple pages over here in 1 Peter Chapter number 4. First Peter chapter number 4 and verse number 8. And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Psalm 103 Verse 12, we talked about that a few weeks ago. And that's the verse that speaks about the fact that our sins, God places our sins as far as the east is from the west. So far shall he remove thy transgressions from thee. When we think about, you know, church infighting, church splits. You know what happens so many times when people get disgruntled, when they leave a church? And I... I'm not saying this because I think there's any problems in our church, thankfully. We're just talking about this this evening because this is where we are in the book of James. But you know what happens so often? 
when people get disgruntled and they leave? They go and they gossip to everyone else. Oh, they did this and they did that and they did this and they did that. And you know, if you hear somebody talking like that, take everything that they say with a grain of salt. The way that we ought to live, the way the attitude that we ought to have is charity, love toward one another, love that hides the multitude of sins, love that is willing to take the wrong, to suffer the wrong, and love one another anyway. But James here is speaking about converting the sinner from the error of his ways. So we've kind of defined a little bit of what James is talking about here, but what, is, what does James mean? James presents to us the reality that believers backslide, that believers can err from the truth. He says, if any of you, and the reality is that each of us this evening are subject to the possibility of erring from the truth. James was telling us there, we've looked at it a couple times in verse number 16, that we ought to confess our faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. Do you pray for each other? Do you pray for your brothers and sisters in this church? I think all of us here this evening are members. Do you pray for one another as we ought to? We ought to be lifting one another up. Not just for the physical needs, just, not just for the flesh. Right? We talked about that this morning. The flesh profiteth nothing. Now, obviously, the fleshly things, they often weigh on our mind. They're often things that are forefront. But in reality, our spiritual needs are far greater than our physical needs. And we ought to be lifting one another up in prayer. We ought to be considering one another. James says that the one who converteth the sinner from the error of his ways is one who saves a soul from death and hides a multitude of sins. You know, I would much rather have that description put on me than one who gossiped about someone else. One who went to others in the congregation and said, hey, did you hear about Brother David? Did you hear about what he did? What he said? I can't believe that. Yeah, I know. Oh, and let me go talk to somebody else. I forget where we were sitting. We were at a restaurant the other day. What day was that? I think that was Friday. We were at the corner, the corner diner down in Little Rock. I don't know if you've ever been there. It's pretty good. You should try it out if you ever get the chance. But we were sitting there, and there was a group of ladies behind my wife in a booth. There was three of them. And the entire time that we were there, they were grilling different people. They were roasting them. They were, it was just a gossip fest, ripping these people apart from limb to limb. And they got up and they left, and I leaned over to my wife and I said, you know, I thought about walking over there and asking them, hey, you think any of you three ever talk about each other like this when the others aren't present? Because it was just... <laughs> but if we're not careful, we can give in to the same tendencies. To begin to gossip, James says, rather, what we should do is be one who loves our brethren. One who is willing to stick our neck out a little bit in love, and try to convert the sinner from the error of his ways. What a great benefit and blessing comes from that, rather than from the other way around. So what? 
What is James talking about? Well, I think first of all this evening, we must all be on guard personally that we're not erring from the truth. We need to guard against our own tendency to err from the truth. We must be careful. We must be humble. We must recognize that we're not infallible, that we're not beyond erring from the truth, and so therefore we need to be careful. Second of all, we ought to be confessing our faults one to another and praying one for another that we may be healed, that we may be healed. You know, there is great benefit and blessing that comes from being humble and open with someone else and just saying, hey, this is what I'm struggling with right now. Would you pray with me about this? Would you be a help? Would you help me stay accountable in this area that can bring great healing that otherwise we may not find on our own? Third of all, we ought to care for one another, enough to pray for one, an- pray for one another, enough to truly love one another, enough to consider one another. If you hold your place here and turn over to the, go- or the, yeah, the gospel, the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter number 2. Philippians chapter number 2. I preached from this passage a few weeks ago about the mind of Christ. Verse number 4 says, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. We ought to be concerned about one another. Sometimes it's easy to get focused on to get consumed with what is going on in my life and to forget that others have things, burdens that they are bearing as well, temptations that they are facing as well. We ought to care for one another, enough to pray for each other, enough to truly love one another and consider one another, to look every man also on the things of others. Consider this thought next. We ought to go after brethren that are erring from the truth. But we have to be careful because we need to go after brethren that are erring from the truth, not in pride, but in love and humility. We ought not to go after others in an attitude of being judgmental or somehow superior to them, but rather in an attitude of love and humility. If you turn over to Galatians, Galatians chapter number 6. Galatians chapter number 6 and verse number 1, Paul has these words that kind of go in line with what James had to say here in our passage. He says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, Ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if any man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. So we need to be careful in how we go after others. Not in a spirit of pride, not in an attitude of I've got it all figured out, not in an attitude of I'm definitely right and you're definitely wrong, but rather in a spirit of meekness. And Paul says that we have to be careful, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. 
Turn over also to Matthew chapter number 7. Matthew 7. Jesus had these words for us. Verse number 1, he says, Judge not that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye? And considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye? And behold, a beam is in thine own eye. Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. Jesus' admonition was, we have to be careful because we can very easily get our focus on others and, oh yeah, you know, so-and-so, they needed to listen to that message and -and so-and-so needed to hear this spiritual truth and, hey, I was reading my Bible this morning. Oh yeah, this is good for them. They need to read this. They need to listen to this and get their life fixed. Jesus says, whoa, whoa. You see that speck that's in your brother's eye and you're missing, you got a telephone pole sticking out of your eye. You're so focused on everybody else that you're missing what's going on with you. So James tells us that we should go after those who are erring from the truth, but brethren, we have to be oh so careful that we're doing it in the right spirit, in the right attitude, and that we need to deal with ourselves first before we pursue after others. You know, if I have a true view of myself, of my heart, of my sinfulness, If I go after someone else, I'll be gentle. I'll be loving and kind and caring. Why? Oh, because I've experienced the grace of God. Because I recognize my own tendency towards sin. I recognize my own evil heart within me. But if I'm lifted up in pride and arrogance and self-righteousness, oh yeah, let's take it to them. Let's show them where they're wrong. Come on. I can help them out. No. We need to have an attitude of humility, an attitude of meekness, Paul said. We must consider ourselves lest we be tempted. Last of all, then, this evening, with so what, we ought to consider whether or not we are open to others coming to us and speaking to us when they believe that we are erring from the truth. Oh, everyone wants to go to others. Everyone wants to, hey, you know, I've got a corner on the market of truth. I want to help other people figure out what they need to do with their life. But if I'm going to be willing to do that, then I must also be willing to receive input from others with a humble spirit, with an attitude of receiving and considering what they have to say. One last thing, turn over to Hebrews chapter number 10, just a couple pages again towards the front of your Bible, and we'll be done. Hebrews chapter number 10, verse 24. Let's start in verse 23. It says, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And... Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. We ought to be provoking 
one another to love and to good works. You know, we can do that not only in the way that we challenge other people. We can provoke them with our speech in what we tell them. But you know a great way to provoke others to love and to good works? To be an example. To be an example of love and of good works. You begin to love other people. You begin to live in an upright and holy manner to exhibit good works, good works towards others. And it will challenge other people to live, if they're, if they're brothers in Christ, right? It will challenge them to live in the same manner. To say, wow, I want to be like that. I want to be more like Jesus. We can provoke one another unto love and to good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. We ought to be provoking one another to love and to good works. But you know, if I don't have love and good works in my life, then what am I provoking others to? If I, if I have the opposite of love, what's that? Hatred, anger, wrath, emulence. If I have the fruits of the flesh in my life, am I provoking others to love? Certainly not. If I have hatred in my life, I'm provoking others to hate. I'm provoking others to anger. I'm provoking others to wrath and good works. If I don't have good works in my life, but rather I have the works of the flesh, then I will be provoking others to do the same. This evening, James admonishes us, brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. May we be the kind of brethren that are walking with God, that have the kind of life that provokes others to love and to good works, and that have relationship with others close enough that we can go and we can sit down with them and say, hey, I'm concerned about this. Is this true? Am I seeing this correctly? Where we can go and we can help convert a brother, a sinner, from the error of their ways and save a soul from death and hide a multitude of sins. This evening, I hope this has been a challenge to you. May we all be followers of Christ as we ought to. May we love one another as we ought to. May we spend time praying for one another as we ought to and challenging one another to be the kind of Christians that we should be.